Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast. I'm going to get right to it. It's a Stripe Hype Friday, y'all. We are joined by our good friend, Stripe Hype Cincy, Blake Jude, NFL draft expert, Bengals coverage all over. Check out BengalsInsider.com and Stripe Hype Cincy on Instagram. We are back. We're going to talk some Rodgers, some NFL draft, all that good stuff. And I'm not going to waste any time here. Let's get to it. Support for the Take It Easy podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide, and today we have an exclusive offer for our listeners. 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code TIE, that's T-I-E, at manscaped.com. Manscaped hooked me up with a bunch of tools and formulations from their Perfect Package 3.0 kit, including the best ball hair trimmer ever, the Lawn Mower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TIE, T-I-E, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code TIE. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Hello? What's going on? What's going on, Blake? How you doing? Ah, jeez, it's been a, <laughs> been a wild couple of days, but I'm, I'm hanging in there. Good to hear. Good to hear. I mean, I'm glad you're hanging in there at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just yeah. You know, after draft season ended and everything, I guess it's just been a. Uh, uh, I've been so focused on oh, because school ended by finals week last week, and then school ended pretty much, and so uh, I've been trying to pick up full work, work shifts, and I was I was scatterbrained after. <laughs> yeah, you, you need your obligatory two week vacation after all that. <laughs> There you go. So <laughs> it works out, but I'm back. I'm in, I'm still here, and uh, man, I'm I'm still really really happy about everything that happened in the draft. I, I had a blast that, that like the last couple of days. So yeah, I was about yeah. to say, how did day three go after our live stream? How did uh, how did that pan out? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't actually uh, do any live streams day three, but uh, I did have a, a pretty good time. Um, I, uh, I I did still I'm still in the process of of grading the picks because. Uh, I had a couple of picks that, or of course I had a couple, I had several picks that did not have grades on them. And um, usually if I don't have a grade on a pick, I will not make a full scouting report on the player, but I'll just go through and watch a little bit and try to get to know what they're like. So that way I can just get a good grade for them. So I'm still in the process of doing that. Uh, I think I'm, I think I'm in like round five right now, which is like, I'm going at a pretty slow pace, but I'm going to try to get it done here soon, probably within the next week. Uh, so I can have a full scouting uh, or draft grades on the, on each team. Um, but, you know, I got everything done for through the first two days. And, uh, you know, I was, I was pretty happy overall with uh, how, how everyone drafted. I mean, there wasn't too many bad, bad, you know, I, I think a lot of, a lot of scouts tend to give, you know, pretty good grades to players. I think it's an issue I have too. Like I, I rarely give anything lower than a C minus on a lot of my grades. Um, it's just because I, like, I, I know the upside of every player, so I don't want to grade it too low, but uh, I tend to do that. I mean, I tend to always kind of pay attention too much to the upside rather than the, what 
how how possible it is for them to actually reach it. Plus, so, how often does an F actually happen? Like, how often, other than, like, Isaiah Wilson, do we see, like, a guy flame out spectacularly in two years? Like, Fs don't happen as often as we realize, and it's usually some unforeseen circumstance. Exactly. Like, we don't, we don't understand. We're not going to be, like – you, you can't predict like how you know it's almost impossible to predict how an F happens. Like Bleacher Report gave the Bengals an F on Jamar Chase and Jackson Carmen two Fs, and like that's just that's just not correct because, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think that you know of course there could be better prospects that they could they could have taken possibly especially in round two, but I mean you're you're gonna get a future starting guard and you're gonna get a stud wide receiver. Like I don't I don't understand how that can be graded as Fs. You know. Uh, of course, better picks could have been made, but you're still going to improve your team by a great margin. So I, I can't judge him for that. I got a Jackson Carmen pick, I believe, a C minus. I got a Jamar Chase and A. Um, I thought that was a, it was a it was a pretty solid draft, uh, all things considered, for the Bengals. Uh, I think the biggest issue and, and and what a lot of people tend to do is you know you 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 understand that like people want to play hardball. You know they want to they want to get the the controversial grades out and they want to see what people think whenever they throw out the controversial grades and so. Um, if they don't like a pick, they're going to grade it in F. They, if they really like the pick, they're going to grade it in A+. Plus, and they're going to try to go all around the board to change everything up. But when I look at each pick, even including guys like Alex Leatherwood, who I thought was really overdrafted, I compare it to the other picks I made. So if it's a – if I grade Leatherwood a D+, plus, let's say, for example, uh, in, in that pick, he that pick's going to matter in the fourth to fifth round. I'm like, is this, is this bad enough to be as bad as taking Leatherwood in that round? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, and, and so it kind of my 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 draft kind of snowballs. Uh, so depending on how 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 the picks go, kind of create a, a bit of a pattern. So, um, you know, the Leatherwood pick I graded because I, I I understand like the the value of having a very very good I mean a very promising and and highly high potential guy like Alex Leatherwood. I just do struggle to believe how well his floor is and how well he can reach that ceiling, especially on the team uh, and the Raiders, who I think really just needed a day one offensive lineman rather than having to get a project. So yeah, that's why as, as really... strange as it seems, the Raiders are supposed to be in win now mode. <laughs> right. And, and, and I think that was, that was a really big reason why I graded it lower, but kind of felt like every other pick, I was like, yeah, this is not a bad pick. It's not a great pick either. It's it the best Leatherwood to the Raiders. Not really. So I'm going to give it a C minus, you know, that's kind of how it ended up being a little bit. Um, which I think, honestly, I mean, I, I don't mind that because, you know, I, I compare all the C-minus picks, y'all kind of feel the same to me. Uh, you know, for the most part, it's just pick like – people always say C's average. I never believed that. I always kind of thought of B as the average, you know. Like B, B plus is kind of what I always average out to be. Because usually uh, – so, so you grade it like the dunk contest. You grade it like the dunk contest where you can never go lower than six. <laughs> yeah, I hate to say that because I definitely grade like C's and C-minuses and stuff. But, like – you know, I, I feel like everyone in schools always said, like, a C is average, right? But I always felt like that was, like, one of those m- misunderstood things. It was always kind of like a B was kind of average because, like, the C is, like, the middle grade for the most part. Like, that's, like, the, you know, the one in the middle where I guess is, like, I guess people would assume it's most common. But I don't actually think of, like, C as being the most average grade. I don't know. I, I don't yeah, know I, think of, I think of B as average, at right. least from, like, school terms. Exactly. So I, I put that in my grading, grading system. If I think it's an average pick, if I, you know, if I'm like, all right, this guy's not bad. This guy can be a, a pretty good starter next level. I can see his upside and his ceiling. I usually grade it a B, a B minus, something like that instead, instead of a C. Because I feel like a C is almost too harsh because you're, you know, you're, you're more or less assuming. I mean, that's like, you know, I, I feel like that's just a slightly better pick than Alex Leatherwood. And I really was loving Alex Leatherwood to pick, of course. So I think that there is some like, I, it, it's really, really hard to uh, develop grading systems. And, and like I said, I, I do think like um, usually if, if the value of the picks matched up almost directly over to the uh, the um, the pick, and especially if it's a team need, I almost always graded about, about a B. So, um, for example, uh, I, I'm going to go back to Bengals picks because this is what I'm used to. Uh, Camp Sample was drafted at 111. He was my number 112 prospect overall. So it's like one value difference. I gave him a B, B plus. Uh, for the, for the pick because it was a good team needed the Bengals field they needed a guy uh, almost exact value he he went there uh, and and I think that's uh that's really kind of how I did most of the draft and so bad value I did make a couple of D picks was 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 a couple of guys made these uh, I believe like the Cowboys got the guy in the Sean Wright who I hadn't scouted yet but 
as far as I know, it, it was very, very <laughs> – a very poor pick among a lot of Cowboys fans as well as other draft media scouts. So um, I, I did a little bit of scouting on that. And so I believe I gave him a D or something like that as well. Uh, there was a couple of picks I wasn't as high on. But even then, like even the picks I graded Ds, uh, you know, I, I you could be low on a pick and that person still end up reaching a ceiling. Uh, and, and still be a great player because I think every player has their own respective ceilings and their respective floors. And what people don't understand is, you know, it, it depends on the team, like who's going to be able to develop them. Like if, if the Cowboys are able to develop corners at a much higher level, which I'm not going to say they are, I'm just saying, for example, if, if the Cowboys are able to develop uh, cornerbacks at a much higher level than what Jackson was able to develop quarterbacks, we might for somehow, for some reason, see Nashawn Wright be a better player than Trevor Lawrence. I'm just saying like anything's possible, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. And so, though I think Lawrence is far better of a prospect, uh, it really just depends on how the team's able to mold him into their own player. Case in point, last year, look who's the, look who finished second in defensive rookie of the year. It was Jeremy Chin, the last pick of the second round. It is uh, pretty much a, a fit thing, a development thing, and a position to succeed kind of thing, which, you know, the Panthers passed on him twice before that, so it's fascinating to see how it played out like it did i just have a, a side note question i don't know if you remember this do you remember what you graded the the rager and jalen hurts picks last year uh i was very very low on the hurts pick um want to say it was a c minus okay uh i think rager was an a minus so I, okay. I was i was a i was a bit of a fan of rager i thought justin jefferson would have been the better pick if he was there um I also preferred Denzel Mims as well at the time. Uh, I liked I liked Rager. I kind of thought of him as a, as a fringe first or second round guy. So they kind of I think it was a bit of a reach, but I thought they had a, they filled a good need. And if he can be healthy, I think he'd be a great deep threat for the team. Um, I believe it was an A minus. It could have been an A. Um, I think it was an A minus, and I, I'm 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 positive that Jalen Hurts is a C minus. I I was not very high on Jalen Hurts. They drafted him round two. I had a Round was it round four or round five grade on Jalen Hurts? I mean, he was he was down low in that Kellen Mon area of my grading book. I was not high on him at all. So um, See, that, well, I'm that too. There are people who think that the Eagles are going to make the playoffs. I'm like, oh no 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 no, that team is rebuilding. <laughs> that is a rebuilding franchise at this point. Yeah, far from it. <laughs> yeah, but the, the NFC East is weird like that. But th- that was something I was thinking about during the week when I was going through Eagles stuff. I was like. I wonder in hindsight what he picked. Because technically, like, I know they've got Devonta Smith now, but, like, Jalen Hurts and Jalen Rager kind of make up, like, the core of the Eagles right now. And that's kind of a problem for them is that if you're looking for talent on that team, it's like those guys and Miles Sanders, who's a free agent at the end of the season. So, yeah. And it really is, like, all their high draft picks. Like, Andre Dillard as well, like a very unproven, raw offensive tackle who has not really panned out at all yet. Like, you're relying on him to really bounce back and improve, you know? Yeah, and Brandon Graham, maybe he's got something left in the tank on defense. And the uh, <laughs> just the, the holding on for dear life, like holding by one hand and falling into the pit of, like, aging out of the league of Darius Slay. Just holding on to the last <laughs> hopes of being a great corner. Yeah, yeah, he's, he doesn't have many years left. They really need – they have a huge need at cornerback right now. I was shocked they didn't resolve that more in the draft. Uh, I thought they would have, you know, tight corner a lot harder than what they actually did. But uh, yeah, they're um, still banking on Sidney Jones working out because they spent a second rounder on him a couple of years ago. Yeah, is he still on the roster? I didn't know. I, I don't know. I, I assume he I, was. I don't know. I, someone, I feel like someone signed him last year, so I didn't know if that was if that was him or not. Um, but um, that's gonna be kind of sad if they did because that's a busted pick for them. Yeah, uh, but I, I will. Yeah, say, he's on the know, Jaguars. You nailed it. He right. is on the Jaguars. Yeah. Yeah, I thought he was somewhere else. Um, I, I will say, though, all things considered, I, I actually really enjoyed uh, the, the Eagles' draft, particularly the first three picks. Um, being able to grab, uh, let's see, they got, um, of course, they got Devonta Smith trading up. I was really, really happy with that. You know, they really needed a wide receiver. They knew he wouldn't get past uh, the Giants. So you trade up for the Cowboys. Uh, you, you give away a pick, but you still get your guy uh, that, you, that you really, really want. Um, for some reason, I oh, Landon Dickerson round two. I was going to say it slipped in my mind. Uh, you get a very, very high upside center who could be a bit of a, you know, I, I think he definitely has uh, quote-unquote bust potential with his injury concerns. Of course, Dickerson has not been very, very healthy throughout his career. But I do think that if he can reach a ceiling, he could be the best interior offensive lineman of the draft. You know, it might not even be close. Uh, I think that he could be a great 
guard at the next level, or he could play center and replace Jason Kelsey if need be. So he's not mandatory to start this year, which is why I like him to pick a lot because you already have Kelsey playing his final season, of course. Uh, but I do think that, you know, if, if there is ever a case where, you know, you need a starter or, or next year, whenever he's going to be a starter, uh, he I think he can fill in that role beautifully. Uh, and the last pick in the third round is the pick I really love, Milton Williams, interior defensive lineman from Louisiana Tech. He's a guy I was – he was one of my big draft crutches for the Bengals. Uh, really, really good undersized three tech. Got a lot of comps to Geno Adkins, which is a big reason why I like him a lot. Uh, and you can see it on his film. He is not the most athletic. He's very, very short for a D tackle. And that was a big knock on him, I think. That's, that's you know, He was just severely undersized. Um, but when working with those big t- giant nose techs, uh, you could really see him work those one-on-one pressures, getting into the one or getting into the A gap and, and really just you know co- causing a lot of pressure and getting past the guards and, and centers and, and making great sacks. And I, I really enjoyed that. He can also go I – mean, he can play A, B, C, almost C gap. You know, he, he's very, very versatile with his size. Uh, though he's small, he's very, very agile, and I think that his athletic testing was almost unmatched, and I really enjoy watching him on film just attack every single gap in the interior line uh, and, and just causing uh, pressure and, and forcing quarterbacks to roll out of the pocket. So uh, I think he's another pretty raw guy, but that's a very, very good D-line uh, in Philadelphia, and I think he's going to add to that even more. So I was really happy with their first three picks. Uh, and that's really off topic, but I just we talked about the Eagles. So I just wanted to go ahead and mention them because I, I really think that, thought they had a pretty good draft for the first three rounds. Well, I feel like I could sit here and have you do that for four hours, and you could do that with every team at this point. But the Philadelphia Eagles, this is year one of, or off-season one of a rebuild for the Eagles. And I guess the, the Devonta Smith one was just the talent. I don't know how much I like the idea of them taking Devonta Smith because they always seem to take wide receivers. Um, but for the Eagles, I do think it's a good idea because they, if you're going to do the rebuild, the way you do it is – draft a center and draft an interior defensive lineman. That's probably a good place to start. If you're starting a long rebuild is draft some interior line and get some protection and then draft a defensive tackle. And if those work out, all of a sudden you're starting to build those two positions. It's how a lot of teams built up the way they did is just draft the offensive line and draft the defensive line and then build out from there. Uh, the, the, the Belichickian model that also was adapted by Kyle Shanahan, who, we found out was not an idiot and uh, made the move that uh, is going to put him in a long-term position. I, we talked about this actually before you came on. I just want to ask you, how are, what are you, what is your stance on sitting quarterbacks during the start of the season? And we know how you felt about Tua, but just in general on sitting quarterbacks out the gate. It of course depends on the quarterback. Uh, I am not going to sit Trevor Lawrence to play uh, insert backup quarterback name. I don't know. Gardner Minshew uh, I, still. <laughs> is, is he still there? I yeah, thought he was a still free agent. No, Gardner Minshew's still there because he was drafted in the sixth round, so he doesn't hit free agency oh, until, right. I think, right. the next year, the year after or something. So he's still still chilling. <laughs> yep. So, uh, yeah, I guess a couple more years of Gardner. I, for some reason, I always thought that he was – Oh, a couple more years. Gardner Minshew is going to be a backup in this league for like 10 years. <laughs> no, I mean, a couple more years at Jacksonville. Is what I oh, guess. yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. But no, he'll be hanging around for a long time in this league. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, I think, you know, a high-level backup in Gardner, I mean, that's never going to be a problem. I, I'm, I'm really happy. Uh, I was – I actually kind of liked Gardner Minshew that year a little bit. I'm not, not going to flex any because I had like a, what, a fourth, fifth-round grade maybe on him. But like I was – I thought the value – like I is very, very rare – that I grade a late round quarterback pick high because almost never do they work out, right? And yeah. so you're always, I'm always going into this assuming it's never going to work out. Gardner, I think I graded like, I'm not even going to pretend like I remember because it, it was sixth round, um, but <laughs> I think it was in the B range, I think around that area because I, I do remember that it was good value to get to get the guy. Uh, and, and though you know, Jacksonville never really, Jacksonville had really struggled to find a good rotational quarterback. And so I thought this is just going to be another guy, but at least he can come in and be a reliable backup, maybe if need be. Ended up working out better than what I even predicted, but I was higher on Gardner than I think a lot of other people were. Yeah, we had two, well, a year and a half of Minshew magic in there, which was a magical time in the world when Gardner Minshew was winning games against the Titans. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, this fun guy who wears funny clothes and, you know, wears funny clothes and glasses and looks like, uh, wears jorts and all that crazy stuff that Gardner Minshew does. But yeah, he'll be hanging around as a backup for a while, even though the Minshew magic is over at this point. So he's going to be like A.J. McCarron. I just found out A.J. McCarron still found another job. So 
it's uh, I thought we, we haven't heard from him in so long. <laughs> nope, but he was a, he was backing up Deshaun Watson, and now he's backing up Matt Ryan. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so that'll. I wonder how that's going to turn out. But uh, I, I want to see AJ McCarron. There, remember those days where uh, everyone was like, "Man, AJ McCarron could be the future starter of the Cincinnati Bengals." What, what, you know, like everyone thought that he was going to be better than Dalton. Because uh, you know, Cincinnati people forget Cincinnati nearly beat Pittsburgh in the wild card game with AJ McCarron at quarterback. Um, Big Ben had been hurt in a part of the game as well, so it was kind of a battle of the backups for the most part. But Ben had played the rest of the game. I believe it was like the beginning of the first half and then the end of the second half. Um, uh, and I, I remember just watching that game and thinking, like, man, people always were like kind of ex- making excuses, like, oh, we had a backup quarterback and stuff. But it really kind of felt like AJ McCarron was not a jump off at all from Dalton, and he was of course younger and on a rookie contract. And I was like, man, I would totally just trade Dalton right now and roll with McCarron if possible. And it's or always the fun, back- there's the fun story that the Browns traded for AJ McCarron for like a second round tip, round and then the, the deal fell through because they forgot to submit paperwork by the trade deadline or something stupid like that. But I mean, people actually thought A.J. McCarron held value at a time. Right, and I mean, it's, it, it, the Bengals really, um, quote-unquote, bungled it very, very hard with McCarron overall. Handled, handled that situation terribly. Uh, you know, and McCarron wanted to be the starter. They ruled with Dalton still. Of course, we all know how that worked out. Dalton ended up falling apart, uh, which is pretty much expected from a, from a guy who's getting older. Uh, and, and, you know, they were like, you know, they knew that they weren't going to keep McCarron. They tried to trade him. They traded him to the Browns for, I believe it was a second and third round pick. It could be wrong. Uh, for I mean, for a lot. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. It's like same Darnold level trade, which is like nothing, nothing you'd expect from a second round pick and a guy who was backing up Andy Dalton. Um, and uh, they went to go submit the paperwork. Trade did not go through because they could not submit the paperwork in time. They placed a second round tender on him uh, the year he was a free agent. He filed a grievance against Cincinnati for doing so. Won it. Got the second round tender taken off and then signed with the Houston Texans and became a universal backup forever. So I, it was just a, a mess of, of a situation and it, it didn't work out for either team. You know, the Bengals didn't get anything. You know, AJ McCarron never played football again. So here we are. Yeah, AJ McCarron gets to be professional clipboard holder like uh, what's his name, Blaine Gabbard. <laughs> just go. hanging yeah. around just hanging around in the league at this point I was so stunned when I found out Matt Schaub was a Falcon like I think it was two years ago he got in because Matt Ryan got hurt I was like holy crap Matt Schaub is still in the NFL I hadn't heard of him since like 2014 when Gary Kubiak got fired by the Texans yeah well there's always those I think we talk about this a lot but uh there's always those random quarterbacks who uh like we remember from like their one like great season. Like there's one guy I always remembered, and I don't know what happened to him afterwards. Matt Flynn, who played for the Green Bay Packers, there yeah. for a hot minute had that insane season after Rogers after Rogers was hurt, and we we're all like, "What in the world? Where did this come from? Who's this guy?" And so, do you remember I, what happened with him after the fact? No, I don't, and that's why I was going to ask. I was like, "There's like I feel like there's always those guys that have that insane season and then just disappear." <laughs> Matt Flynn's story is so funny. So Matt Flynn got that Mike Glennon type contract to go to the Seattle Seahawks during the second year of Pete Carroll and John Schneider because John Schneider had drafted him in Green Bay, and so they signed him. But Matt Flynn lost the starting job out of camp to Russell Wilson when Russell Wilson was like a third round pick. So he was signed to be the starter and then they drafted Wilson in the third round and Russell Wilson just straight beat him out of camp. And then they like traded him to the Raiders and was never heard from again. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So I am a mess. I, it's also so funny that you said Matt Flynn, because my, my guy that I always remember is Brett Hundley. I'm like, Brett Hundley's got to be hanging around somewhere still. Like, he's got to be somewhere. It's like he's unsigned right now, but he was on Arizona for the past couple of years. I was like, no, oh, Brett Hundley's still hanging around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think <laughs> that, that's it's kind of how I, – I remember Hundley pretty well, and honestly, I don't know where he's at either. Um, no, but... he's a free agent right now. Oh, that's right. Okay. And then like Deshaun Kaiser is another guy I was like pretty much every single Browns quarterback that was drafted over the last decade. It's kind of like in that same area. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, he yeah, flamed out so quick, though. <laughs> yeah. It, it was because he had a pretty good year one, if I remember correctly, right? Well, like, like he at least well, started out all right. Yeah. So 
he did play his entire rookie year, but he's also will forever be known as the quarterback who quarterbacked 14 of the 16 games during the 0-16 season for the Browns. Okay, all right. That's right, that's right. But as far as I remember, like, he wasn't, like, he was bad, but he wasn't, like, significantly worse. Did did he not play two years? Was he drafted and then had a year and then came back, and that's the 0-16 year? So he was drafted in 17, and then the Browns got rid of him. He ended up, like, on the practice squad of the Packers. Then he ended up on the Raiders at some point. But he is on a team right now. Can you guess what team Deshaun Kaiser is on? He's on the practice squad for a team. (laughs) All right, well, I I just want those out there. I was going to guess Packers, so I'm I'm automatically going to be wrong. Um, The Packers still have, what's his nuts, Tim Boyle. (laughs) Is is the Raiders? It's not the Raiders. Raiders got no, Mariota no. and the Peter Man. That's right. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why. I, I just thought Oakland or uh, Las Vegas. He was, um, he was there for he was there for a while. He was there for like right. a season. That's right. Yeah. Um. Maybe San Francisco. Not San Francisco. They've got Beathard and Rosen, and maybe Nick Mullins. I think Nick Mullins might be a free agent, but yeah, I, I don't know. Why. I keep. Wait a bit. There's, this there's, there's, a, this is a weird the tough one. Part is, there's like there's like five quarterbacks on like every team right now. So even though there's a lot of guys, I don't really know like who's where because like everyone's just trying to sign and have competition for training camp. Well, um, I was about to say if you don't know where he is, this is going to be impossible to guess. <laughs> uh, I I feel like I. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, Deshaun I, Deshaun Kaiser plays for the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, I, I would have never gotten that. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have either. I was just going to be like, who's the backup to Ryan Tannehill? And then I looked up Titans' death chart. I'm like, oh, my God, Deshaun Kaiser's there. What are the odds? And then uh, we'll have Logan Woodside, former AAF Arizona Hotshots quarterback. <laughs> former Bengal pick. Bengals draft pick, round seven. Uh, he played uh, he was on a practice squad forever and then got beaten out by a guy named Jake Dolagala, who was just cut by the Patriots, actually. So. Uh, yeah, this is a little bit of a story for the no-name quarterbacks out there. <laughs> yeah, shout out to the no-name quarterbacks that I only know because I got super into the AAF for like three weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was honestly like one of the one of the coolest things there for like two minutes. Yeah, and, for and a the... hot minute that was awesome. And then the XFL came around the next year. I was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> the, yeah, AAF, I, I... the AAF was disappointing. I'm good on the XFL. Yeah, I got I got really into the AAF. I didn't give the XFL a shot at all. I don't think. Um, yeah, I, I do remember like I do remember them like really making the the league like on the exact opposite side of NFL. So it made sense. Like if you want more football, you can watch it now. But uh, even then, like it's just like I I picked the team that I wanted to root for and I watched and I was like I really just don't care what happens. <laughs> like, yeah, that was the same I don't thing. Wanna... Except. I do remember P.J. Walker. That's the one thing I'll say. P.J. Walker, AAF legend, who also won a game last season because the Lions scored zero points against the Panthers. <laughs> Is he still on the Panthers? I think so. I think he's still on the Panthers. I think it's him and Will Greer are their backups, which, again, Panthers fans, you could have had Trevor Lawrence if you just swallowed your pride and played P.J. Walker at quarterback. Could have gotten Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> Or you could have at least, you know, figured out that P.J. Walker is, you know, a pretty not bad backup. You know, you can just get rid of Will Greer now because, man, you, I don't remember if you remember hearing the story of, of how the Panthers graded uh, their, their quarterbacks, but they, they got Will Greer in round two. And, I mean, they were, like, freaking out, so excited over it. And they were like, uh, you know, um, how high on you, Will Greer, and, and why did you pick him? They're like, he's our QB3 of this draft. And so – you know, you go back and you and you really you look at all the picks, and I believe it was what that was the year Kyler Murray was a pick, uh, mm-hmm. Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins. Which, honestly, now that I look back at it, it wasn't that bad of a grading since the, those are just a ter- terrible quarterback class. But anyways, there was like six quarterbacks taken beforehand, or maybe five, uh, who had high, who had you know far higher grades than than Will Greer, and then saying that they had Will Greer as the third highest, and it wasn't even close. I always it always amused me, it made me laugh because they never gave him a shot to play either. Like they just they took him and they were so so happy with it, and then they just never gave him a shot. Well, like, they technically put him on the field when they benched Kyle Allen during that weird year where Kyle Allen went like five and five to start. Like 
Kyle like Cam Newton started 0 and 2, had the foot fracture, and then uh, Kyle Allen won like four games in a row and like threw for 400 yards against the Cardinals. Like I remember that, and then they figured out Kyle Allen's not actually good, and they were like five and ten. They're like, hey, let's put Will Greer in against the Saints. <laughs> and we all know how that worked. That worked out. So no, yeah, but- uh, Will Greer ended up being significantly below average. But uh, honestly, like, I I think that you know even add the the six he's probably definitely the worst still even i don't know jordan haskins you maybe argue um yeah and not to know. mention gardner Minshew went after him so gardner Minshew shoots up that that's board. true yeah that's true he, it, it's crazy to, when you realize that like i'm not gonna lie Minshew might have been a top four maybe even top three quarterback in that class and when you, when you realize like you know lock and, and and daniel jones this is they're probably their last year right and you assume yeah. they're gonna be back well, daniel jones if Dan- Daniel Jones has everything to succeed, but I think it's pretty clear he was definitely number two. And then you can kind of debate between Drew Locke and Gardner Minshew because they're both kind of upper level backups. Right. Yeah. So just <laughs> the poor class all around. That was, that was crazy. I remember I, I would have loved to be able to draft to Dwayne Haskins. And now I look back on it, I'm like, man, I thought it was a bullet. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was, that was one thing that I hit very wrong on that year, uh, was being as high as I was on, on Haskins. He was my QB2 that year. I would like to say, if Herbert was in that class, cause we, uh, I don't know if people remember, but Herbert was really considering classifying into that class, and he was going to be coming out a year early, which really could have played a lot of things. Because imagine if a team like the Washington football team got Herbert instead of getting oh we Haskins. did this we did this on a podcast is what would have happened if justin herbert had gone out and he would have gone and picked number four to the raiders the raiders would have oh, been yeah. targeting justin herbert imagine how much like things changed there that would be nuts um if, if that actually happened uh, yeah so I, I, in our I, in I, our what if scenario the raiders would trade Derek carr to washington but the pick that washington sends back would have became terry mclaurin so Terry McLaurin would have Ooh. ended up with Justin Herbert on the Raiders. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, can you imagine how much that changes if that happens? Um, yeah, but I will say, like, I was like, I was smacking on the table whenever Daniel Jones and and everyone was getting drafted higher than Dwayne Haskins. I was like, this is just disrespectful. Uh, you got to get the guy, and and of course Haskins was drafted, and of course he has his issues, and that doesn't doesn't work out so much. But I will like to say. Uh, I'm interested to see how Pittsburgh can convert Dwayne Haskins because, you know, I, I hate to be like that kind of guy, but it really feels like him and Ben are similar players since they're the big Husky pocket passer dudes. And so I kind of think like, hey, if there's one guy I can actually train him and teach him how to be a guy, it might be Big Ben. So if he's willing to do it, which I don't know if he is, uh, well, I guess we'll have to see because I've heard he's pretty stubborn about uh, training rookies. But we'll we'll see. And uh, if, if it works out, maybe uh, – Pittsburgh has a, has a pretty underrated quarterback and, and the rain's coming up here soon, but I don't know. I doubt that happens. And as far as I know right now, he's probably one of the, you know, he's definitely probably the biggest bust of the group right now. Yeah, I think that's probably true, but they also gave Mason Rudolph a one-year extension. I'm just like, why do you love this dude so much? Why do you keep bringing back Mason Rudolph? <laughs> I, I think I, I honestly, like Mason has been like such a liability to the team, but, I almost feel like the team as a whole plays better whenever he's there because they, 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 you know, you notice like whenever Mason Rudolph's in, they run a completely different scheme. Like they completely change their entire, their, their entire look of their offense. They run the, the wishbone a lot with like three running backs and maybe like a fullback uh, yeah. or they, they, or they run like um, a lot of wildcats with like Jalen Samuels or something like that or Anthony McFarlane. And they just change up their offense completely. And, like, it, it actually looks like a good offense. Like, I don't know why they do that more often, especially with Big Ben. Like, well, Big ben yeah, that's the thing. They don't have any quarterbacks. They don't have any, like, starting caliber quarterbacks on their team. Big Ben's, like, already, like, dead in the water for a year. So they just don't have any quarterbacks. So they got to do all this trick play shit. Right. And, and, and what was the year that Big Ben had, like, been out for, like, eight or nine games? Um, oh, with the, the elbow surgery? That was yeah. uh, 2019. Because that was the year they won like eight or nine games going back exactly. between Rudolph and Duck Hodges. Exactly. Like that was that was the year I was talking about. Like that, that scheme that they had made for that season and were like building or like playing around air, like Big Ben. I'm not going to lie. Like 
their defense played fantastic that year, but I think their defense was better last year, I guess, as a whole, uh, of course. And so I was thinking, like, man, if you just ran that type of offense with the defense you have now, if you can control time of possession and allow Big Ben, like, you could probably open up the playbook a little bit and let Big Ben make some throws if need be. But, of course, Big Ben made a lot of terrible throws, and he was a big reason why he lost a lot of games last year near the end of the season. Um, if you just kind of catered, to you know the the weaknesses of Big Ben and allowed them to really use that wishbone in the running game and use a running back by committee. They don't have a James Conner, uh, granted, but they still had a pretty good offensive line. You roll with Benny Snell, Anthony McFarlane, uh, Jalen Samuels as your three guys that you can r- kind of roll with. And don't forget they also have they don't, don't forget they've got Najee Harris now. Right, right. I, I was yeah. just talking about this. This that, that, yeah, this last, that last year. year. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I think that now that Najee Harris is your is your running back, you know, you're, you're almost fully committing to just a workhorse, you know, kind of like how uh, Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, kind of the, like those guys are now. I feel like that's going to be Najee Harris. And, and I, I will say Najee Harris, going, going back to the draft a little bit, um, that was a pick that I, you know, had mocked pretty much every single mock draft up until the end. Uh, every, every single Pittsburgh uh, source or, or person I talked to had always said it was going to be Najee. Uh, it would have taken a very, very good offensive lineman to fall. And actually, there for a hot minute, I thought Christian Darisol could have been that guy uh, if he had fallen a little bit further. Um, so that might have been a possibility that we didn't see coming. But, of course, Darisol goes down to the Vikings to make a beautiful trade down and still get their guy, which I love. Uh, but uh, Najee Harris ended up still being the pick there. And, and I think that I look at their offensive line right now, and I know that, like, it's a lot of guys that I really could name you. Uh, they got Kendrick Green at center, which is a guy I really, really like for the Bengals uh, as, as a possible center prospect. But uh, – you know, he's still like a, what, a third or fourth round. I think he was a third round pick to the Steelers. Um, Pat Frymuth is a pick that I was a pretty big fan of. I, I really, really like his capabilities of both the receiving and blocking game. Uh, he can be a very, very good replacement for Eric Ebron and Vince McDonald, who they, of course, lost a couple years ago. But uh, as for Najee, you know, this is a team that has a very weak offensive line. Uh, and um, I, I think that uh, Najee's got to do a lot more uh, with his legs than what people think. I, he's going to have to earn a lot more yards and it's going to kind of go back to, um, and, and this is kind of like filling out my philosophy of like, what's the point of drafting a running back or having a good quarterback if you're not going to have the offensive line to play around him? And it's a big reason why I have always condemned the Bengals for what they're doing. Like you mentioned it earlier, you know, if you're going to build a team, if you're going to start rebuilding, if you're like the team like the Eagles, build in the trenches, get good offensive linemen, get good defensive linemen, get big in the trenches. And if you can have a great trench play, you can be a great team. You know, teams like, well, they have some weaknesses still, but teams like the Rams, like the, the Chiefs, like in like the years that they are really good, they have great trench play. Like that's that's success. That's what they're doing. They're winning on the ground. They're, they're winning. They're winning in in the trenches. Uh, you're you're allowing Mahomes to be protected. You're allowing your running back to to get a lot of yards whenever you run. Like you need to build in the trenches. And Pittsburgh, of course, lost Alejandro Villanueva, to Matt Filer, and uh, Mark was it Mark Keith Pouncey, I believe, uh, mm-hmm. to uh, to happen to free agency. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Marquise Pouncey retired. So you lose three of your top starters, uh, and you replace it with a four, with a third-round rookie and two backups that you already had in your squad. Um, the offensive line took like a big hit, and so Najee's going to have to have a lot more uh, – he's going to have to really take away the patience that he has. He's going to have to really hit the gaps fast because he's going hit, to get hit by the, behind the line if not. Uh, I, I think that, you know, Cleveland really improved the defensive line. Cincinnati really improved the defensive line. Both teams, I think, really just completely changed the entire look of their defensive uh, front and and I think the Ravens though they lost a couple of guys like you know Nick and Gawkway and and Matthew Judon you know they still they still have a couple of good players there especially after adding Jason Owe from uh from Penn, from Penn State there later in the first round you have a couple of good developmental guys in defensive line that can be that can affect the game a little bit too it's gonna be tough for Pittsburgh to really handle the trenches this year it's a big reason yeah, why but, I expect but, them to have a really big drop off but who needs an offensive line when you have Five wide receivers, two tight ends, three running backs, and just no good quarterback. Who needs a who needs an offensive line when you've got eleven different weapons now? I honestly expect Pittsburgh to attack the outside like su- substantially more than the average team. Like if it's not if it's not a screenplay or an outside run every single play, I would be shocked with Pittsburgh right now. Like I don't trust him to run inside yeah, zone. It's gonna be the exact same system as last year, just with you know Devin Bush getting healthy and. Try, it's going to be the exact running the exact same system as last year that they were running, and they won a lot of games with the system. They started like eleven and zero, but it's going to be the exact same. Like lots of screen passes to Big Ben, Big Ben to Juju screen passes, slant routes with Claypool, 
maybe now and then they'll go deep with James Washington or Ray Ray McLeod or something like that, or little button hook out routes with like Friar Muth and Ebron. Well, here's my problem. Like guys like Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson, who are like their true deep threats, maybe even James Washington as well. Um, you're, you're really, really losing out on those guys by not having offensive line because if Big Ben's not, Big Ben's not going to run out of the pocket. Let's be real. I don't. I don't well, to be also, guy, Big dude. Ben was third fewest yards per attempt last year in the entire league. It was like only Alex Smith and like I think it was Trubisky. I don't know, but it was like Alex Smith and someone else were the only people below Big Ben in yards per attempt. Right, and I'm saying that it's going to be even lower this year. I bet. Like I bet it's going to be it's going to be even significantly lower. I think than what they had last year because Big Ben had a couple of plays last year where you know he would hit. Claypool on a, on an outside streak or something like that. You're gonna sacrifice that this year. And though I do think I will say I think all the receivers on that squad, um, Juju Claypool, James Washington, Deontay Johnson are all very very capable capable yak receivers. So it is good that they built their receiving core to match up with this. Um, I, I will say that they're they're gonna have to rely on that a lot more. And you know usually after a while teams can game plan around that and and really figure out like hey let's just get a good tacklers on the outside let's roll um, because. Of course, they might not get a lot of sacks, but they're not getting substantial yards on these screenplays if, if you're going to play around the screen. So, uh, and then a team like uh, the Ravens, who I think are, are very, very good tacklers on the outside, people really don't talk about that. Guys like Marlon Humphrey um, and Marcus Peters are fantastic tacklers on the outside and, and screenplays and plays like that. It's going to be hard to get past those guys and, and win. And I will say, Pittsburgh's defense is definitely going to hold them up because they might have yet again this year the best defense in the NFL, uh, even after losing Bud Dupree. And I don't think it's a joke either. I, I really think that he is he is that good of a player. Uh, or They are that good of a, of a squad right now. Um, and, and I also think TJ Watt is probably going to be the favorite for the defensive player of the year this year as well. Uh, I, I think their defense is going to be great, but this, the offense is going to really, really play around the, the weaknesses of the offensive line right now. And that's just something that – I have historically never been a fan of, especially whenever you're rolling with a older quarterback who cannot roll out of the pocket. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how they respond to it. But I will never doubt Mike Tomlin because he can never have a losing season. That is almost NFL law at this point. So at the end of the day, even though I think they're going to lose out on a lot more games, plus they're going to go nine and eight somehow and still be right there in the playoffs. <laughs> Well, you mentioned something funny that I wanted to think about before. Marcus Peters has had, like, the most interesting career of any player in the NFL at this point because Marcus Peters was on those Alex Smith teams that, like, started 8-0 and Kareem Hunt was going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. And then they got – they, like, flamed out in the playoffs. Then he gets traded to the Rams when the Rams are going to the Super Bowl. So then he's on the team with the uh, the NFC Championship loss for the Saints and the epic, like, Mahomes versus Goff, like, 52 to 50-whatever game that was the greatest regular season game I've ever seen. Then he gets traded to Baltimore in the middle of Lamar's MVP season. And then he – so he's on that team that's the number one seed and loses – and then now here he is still on the Ravens who are like ready to compete again in the AFC, which is just like, he's been on like the three best teams of the last, what the last five years he's played on the chiefs, the Ray, the Rams and the Ravens while all of them were really good. He's, he just keeps showing up in big moments. <laughs> There's always those players who always kind of appear out of nowhere and show up in those big moments and, Talk about that with quarterbacks. It's the same case with everyone else. Like, there's always those just few guys who just pop out of nowhere and it's just insane for like a hot minute and then leave. <laughs> like yeah. we talk about we talk about Fitzmagic and and all that a lot. And you know they they really have their their seasons, but there are those certain players that go un, unnoticed who have like come in and they either run for 150 or 200 yards or, or have an insane game receiving. Like Deshaun Jackson had a few of those throughout his career. Uh, and so like that, where he has just like 200, 300 yards receiving in one game and then just completely disappears. Like, that's, it's hilarious. Yeah, I love that. Well, we've uh, we kind of put it to the side before, but we we haven't talked Aaron Rodgers yet after uh, what happened that's last week. We kind of we kind of put that to the side because of all the draft analysis and stuff. So, I mean, things have calmed down now because it, it was like, oh, my God, is Aaron Rodgers going to like we, – we just – no one had any idea that this was going on. And now that it's kind of sat for a week, everyone's like, yep, we're going to have to wait a few months to see how this plays out with Aaron Rodgers. But, yeah, this is like our fourth major quarterback controversy of the offseason with one of like the six best quarterbacks in the league. It worries me. 
for the future of the NFL. It really does. Because I feel like it's going to be a lot harder for teams to hold on to quarterbacks. And, and I mentioned this in a couple of podcasts ago, that the league is slowly getting to the point where you just draft a rookie, and if they don't work out, you cut them and draft another rookie. And I really feel like that's what's going to happen a lot more often here, you know, in these next couple of years, because we're slowly getting to the point where there's going to be six, seven, eight, maybe first round quarterbacks in the draft now, because, you know, this upcoming year, there's like eight or nine guys who I think all can be in conversations between the round one right now. And of course, it's still preseason before the college football season starts. So, of course, things will change. But, um, you know, like at last, like this upcoming season, uh, Kyle Trask was really a seventh name into the the top six already, or top, or sorry, it's a sixth name into the top, uh, into the top five of quarterbacks in in, in the first round this year. And of course, Kellen Mond, Davis Mills also kind of submitted their names there a little bit later on. So a lot of people are saying there can be eight quarterbacks taken in the first two rounds. It's slowly getting to the point where teams are just drafting guys to see how they work out and then moving on from them. And I feel like if Aaron Rodgers leaves, it's going to continue to kind of scare teams away from wanting to re-sign your good quarterback to another big deal because you're afraid that once it happens, you're going to have to be forced to get rid of him, kind of like how the Carson Wentz situation was or the you know the Sean Watson situation kind of is right now, even though there's a whole other aspect of that I'm not even going to get into. Uh, yeah. And, of course, there's a lot of other situations that are, are, are going on as well uh, around the league right now. And so it, it really is scaring teams away from wanting to re-sign their quarterbacks. And that's, that's going to really hurt the league in my eyes because – a lot of teams are going to really favor it's it's going to be to a point where a lot of the, the teams are going to favor getting those rookie quarterbacks and that might actually be the teams that we see be some of the better teams in the NFL in the future the teams who um get the Trevor Lawrence of the draft you know like they might not be the great team year one or the year before I mean they might get the number one overall pick but they load up on cap space they make an ultimate tanking rebuild and they get all the free agents they can possibly sign, like how Jacksonville and Miami did the year before. They get a very, very good quarterback in the draft. And like how Miami did, this could be a, a situation where in the future, Jacksonville's going somehow 12 and twelve and five in the season. And they're all of a sudden playoff contenders because everyone is getting to the point where uh, if you re-sign a quarterback, it almost always bites you in the butt, no matter what it is, like no matter who it is. Like we're always thinking like, hey, you know, this, they're signing a big contract to Russell Wilson. This is going to be a great re-signing. And all of a sudden, Russell Wilson's like, I really don't want to be a Seahawk anymore. And we're like, what in the world? Where did that come from at all? Well, like, we have the no Russell clue. Wilson one is interesting because that was like seven years in the making. And it's just the, the Seahawks have been the exact same team, right? They, I think since the, the Malcolm Butler play, they got – Lost in the second round, missed the playoffs, lost in the wild card, lost in the second round, lost in the wild card, lost in the second round, lost in the wild card. So it's just they've been the same team for years and years now. That one's interesting, too. Uh, but go right. ahead and what you're saying. That one's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, every team has a certain situation. Like, I feel like the Packers, to a certain extent, are in the same area. Like, they're always going to make the playoffs. They're never going to win. You know what I mean? Even when Rodgers is playing out of his mind. Yeah, yeah I was about to say, wait until they take away Aaron Rodgers and they have to, like, really bank on Jordan Love and see how this thing worked out for them. But I, I to add on to what you were saying before that, I think it's just risk aversion. Like, GMs and coaches get fired all the time from making the bad choice at quarterback. Now, like McVay had protection on golf and like moved on from him rather like quickly. But if you make the wrong decision, you're getting fired so much. And that's the risk aversion of like, you can't go wrong with a rookie because the rookie wage scale incentivizes drafting quarterbacks early. It's why the Vikings were going to take Justin Fields had he fallen to 14. And I would have said, Absolutely you do that, because why the hell are you giving Kirk Cousins two-year extensions in the first place when Kirk Cousins is, you know, kind of blah? <laughs> and, and, and they still got Kellen Mond later on in the draft as well, which is like... Mm-hmm. So, so they're, thinking, they're thinking about life beyond Kirk Cousins. That's probably a good right. thing for them to keep their jobs. Right, exactly. And and I think that, that, that is almost necessary if, you, if you're a team like the Vikings. But um, I, I will say for sure, like, I mean, I understand that, like, there's still going to be those players that, of course, you're going to re-sign. Like, if, if Aaron Rodgers is playing against MVP Aaron Rodgers, any NFL team is going to want to sign him, including the team that had him, of course. That's, that's obvious. I think that guys like Patrick Mahomes, of course, who are just insanely different, are going to get those max, max, max contracts and get paid yeah. out of this world money, and they deserve to because they are fantastic at playing the game. And I think a big reason why I was always so happy with Joe Burrow being a Cincinnati Bengal is the fact that it really feels like Burrow – no matter what, is going to stick with his team and try to win. And I feel like he's got the really the big time determination and the abilities to, um, you know, even if he loses the next year, he's going to use that as motivation to get better. He he came from a you know a third string at Ohio State to a very very below or I'll say average to below average bat or starter at LSU to becoming a 
crazy highs in Canada. I mean, he riz, he rose in the ranks to every single rank in college football last that year. And so I think he's probably going to do the same in the NFL, hopefully, is what, at least I hope he does. And, and I think the Bengals have really done well to cater to what he – um, to what he needs, of course, that offensive line is a certain story because I think that you know they are improving. I think somewhat, but they are still. I would say, I would say at this point now they are average, which is what you know that's that's more than what I could say several years ago for them. So that's great. Um, but I think that now you, of course, add Jamar Chase, one of his weapons, Thaddeus Moss, one of his weapons, Tyler Shelvin, one of his best friends, and and college like he has a lot of guys around him that he is very familiar with that he likes a lot. The Bengals have really really done well to cater to Joe Burrow. And I am very, very happy that he has the determination and the ability to want to improve and get better. And I think the issue for a lot of teams is for a lot of quarterbacks, especially when you get a little bit older and you notice that the team is not improving, you lose a lot of, uh, I guess, um, determination some, somewhat. I feel like Burrow and you know, I, I could say I don't want to say the same for Mahomes. Like Mahomes is the same way. Uh, they really don't learn, lose determination. I'm not trying to compare Burrow to Mahomes. There's several other quarterbacks that are like that as well. That's just the best two examples I can give because those are two quarterbacks I know the most. Um, you know, I think that those are the two those are two guys who are never going to want to have a dull moment. They're going to want to take a bad team and make it really good, right? Like, I mean, Mahomes has always kind of had a good team around him. Well, yeah, the interesting fantastic, thing but... with Mahomes is that any team that has Mahomes is never going to lose more than, like, set six or seven games in a season, right. which is interesting. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Like he's and, and and no matter like, I mean, even if they lose in the playoffs or they lose in the in the Super Bowl, he's like, reload. We're gonna do it again next year. We're gonna get better. And I feel like for a lot of other players, like after a while, that can get a little disheartening. Uh, and of course, Mahomes won a Super Bowl recently, so maybe this isn't the best example because he's already made it to the top. Um, but I do think that you know there are those certain players like. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to say Russell Wilson because I can understand where he's coming from. You know, being. I mean, I feel like he's done everything he's can, he could do for this team, and they still aren't getting anywhere. Um, and maybe the same for Aaron Rodgers to a certain extent. But for a lot of these guys, like you know, the, a lot of the lower ranked players, like Deshaun Watson and stuff, like I, I think Watson's a great quarterback. But be patient with your team because they are still get, fixing and improving your team, and he was so ready to get out. And oh, I with think the that, Texans with Deshaun Watson. Right. Oh, they, they messed up so bad before then, though. Like, this is a question right. of, like, holding your organization accountable, where the Texans the Texans have that power vacuum and a team pass there that staged a coup of the franchise. But it, it's like, it, it's just everything that led up to that, where Deshaun Watson was quiet about DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, he was quiet about them trading Jadavian Clowney. Uh, giving up all their draft picks for Tunsil was nice, but then also you have no means to improve, and then they go 4-12 and 12 and fire Bill O'Brien. Because everyone hated Bill O'Brien. It was only when J.J. Watt was done with Bill O'Brien's shit that they finally fired him. But the, the, everything leading up to Deshaun Watson's request for the Texans kind of set the stage for you know everything falling apart in Houston really quick. Yeah, and, and I get that. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time... Uh... You know, I'm I'm just coming if if I was ever in in Watson's point of view, which I hope I'm never. But you know, if if I'm I'm imagining myself in in Watson's shoes on the Texans, like I I don't feel like the Hopkins trade, of course, was terrible. But the Texans, what else were the Texans front office supposed to do? Because Bill O'Brien was making all the moves. Okay, they, obviously Bill O'Brien was a huge mistake. They realized that they get rid of Bill O'Brien. Well, also, so it was so reporting now says that Easterby, when he fired the GM and couldn't hire Casario, was like the de facto GM. But yes, Bill Bri- Bill O'Brien signed off on every trade that they made. It was just someone and, at the top who wasn't qualified to be a vice president of football operations, putting the details together. And then Bill O'Brien not knowing enough about transactions to like veto his moves. I think, I think how I would have played it off, and, and I guess this, I could be wrong, but um, of course Watson wanted to have more of a say in the Houston Texans organization, but I feel like he never made that clear to the, to the, guy, to the, school, like the front office. Like they never knew that. And so, of course, that is something that you should probably already think of whenever you're drafting a quarterback that early and a guy you have that you already have a great player like that. But at the same time, I think now that he has already made that clear, and of course, if he ever returns to the team somehow, some way, they're going to make oh, sure that he's a yeah. part of every single meeting ever. Like that, that's no, they, they were promising that. Yeah. But I, I, I just think yeah. from, 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 from my perspective, I understand. Yeah, for like, like a yeah. theoretical idea. Yeah, I get the idea right. that if they had to do it again, they would probably do it differently. And, and, and if I'm watching them, I'm thinking like, you know, I mean, of course I can go to a team and contend now maybe on a different team. And I understand how that you would really like that. But uh, I feel like for, for guys like Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes, this is where 
they really settle in and they're like, let's get to work. Let's improve this team. Let's get make it better. And that's what I really look for in a quarterback. That's very, very underrated. Cause though I, I really, you know, though I think that Watson's a great player and if he can get back into the league, he will be a fantastic player. Uh, I, I, I will say that, you know, that, that determination to want to be on a team for longer, even when they start to rebuild is something that goes very, very unnoticed for a lot of quarterbacks. And it's something that is very, very underrated. And I really like that out of, out of a lot of guys. I hope players like Trevor Lawrence can be the same way. I don't know yet, of course, because, because, you know, they still have a lot of years to go uh, in the NFL, and there's a couple other players like that. But, you know, for, for a, a team that, you know, I think I think Lawrence could be that guy because he's very, very optimistic with Jacksonville. But uh, I think that, you know, despite a couple of struggles that a couple of teams have, even though they have a great quarterback and they have a lot of promise, those guys who are patient and are like, let's, let's improve this team, let's get back to work, let's, let's do what we need to do um, instead of really just – and, and I, I do understand that there are certain situations that Watson had in the, in the back end that really changed some things. But at the same time, I think that, you know, everything can be solved with a good conversation and really just, you know, getting your, your points out there and helping – uh, to to uh, show your grievances and stuff like that. So um, I, I will say, I think the Texans front office can certainly could have handled it all better. And I think Watson could have handled it better himself. Um, and so I think that what really goes unnoticed for me is those quarterbacks who are able to handle those situations very, very well. And, you know, we might not see those exact situations unfold for these guys. We might not ever see that, but you can kind of tell who it is around the league. Like you could see guys like, I'm trying to find another good example. Like on, on a yeah. maybe maybe Derek. Well, I mean, Carr I can throw. Extent. Yeah, Derek. Well, Derek Carr doesn't have much of a choice. But yes, I I get that part. Is like the the quarterback or like the face of the team is an extension of management. Like they tread the line. Russell Wilson's a perfect example. Treads the line between management and labor, where when management needs him to be like a GM in the locker room, they can be that guy. But then also labor and where they connect to the guy, but also don't have any of the power. Uh, they have more power than other players, but still don't technically have power to actually like make decision-making moves. And so the, the face of the franchise or face of a corporation, I like to call it, just becomes an extension of management. And patience is a virtue that is like required of them to be an extension of management. And some of these guys are choosing not to be an extension of management for front offices that are incompetent or at least failing the quarterbacks at almost every turn, at least in the case of like Rogers, Wilson, and well, Wilson, not so much, but Rogers and Watson, the franchise just right. failing them at every turn. Wilson is just, the franchise isn't failing him. They're just like kind of in the middle. Like they, they bring in a DK Metcalf every now and then, but they've just been, the, the same thing for a while. And so Wilson and the Seahawks are headed towards a divorce, but staying together for the children for another year. Right. Yeah. I mean, of course they're going to be, yeah, they're going to be put together for this upcoming season. So it's not an issue. It's really addressed until next year, at least, I guess. But yeah, um, yeah no, I, I just, I, I guess Russell Wilson's a pretty good example as well, because he really stuck with this team for quite a while. And I think at this point, he's at the end of his career, close to get, he's getting close to the end of his career. He might as well just want to get some bold running. He's probably not going to do it with the Seahawks. So I understand that. So maybe he would well, be another yeah. good example. And, or at the very and, least, and, just something new, because the Seahawks have kind of been the exact same core of three people, Schneider, Carroll, and Wilson, for 10 years now. And at the very least, six years of first and second round exits post-Super Bowl 49. Yeah, and, and I would like to say, like, I feel like Mahomes is a very generic example that people are like, well, of course, he's the best quarterback in the NFL. Why, or, you know, like I get, I get, I understand that, yeah. but I think what but I, I could throw out like Lamar like, and Tom Brady too, where those are similar type cases where they stayed with their teams, but their organizations were competent and their organizations had a right. plan and a structure and knew what they were doing and exactly Mahomes executed is in, well. is in that. Mahomes is in that area, but they had, he has the same mindset as those guys, which is what I really expect respect. And I was going to mention Lamar Jackson as well as another one of those guys. It's a perfect example that you, that you gave. Um, you know, they, they, are, they are like, you know, even, even in, at their times where they fail um, and they aren't good, you know, they, they understand that. Like, let's, re, let's reload. Let's get better at this, at this position. And, of course, their, their teams do. So that's, not, that's why it's never a big deal because, you know, a player could say that, and if they don't, then it causes issues. I guess, I guess that is, to a certain extent, what Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson are both complaining about is how they, they want a couple of positions to improve. They didn't improve them, uh, and they're getting angry about that. But, or in the case of Aaron Rodgers, the idea that they drafted his replacement as their first draft right. move as a new GM and coach was that they Which, immediately drafted his replacement will always just be the most head-scratching pick ever. I mean, like, Marcus Davenport going to the New Orleans Saints shocked me. But 
I might I, I if you gave me fifty prospects to say the, who the Green Bay Packers would have drafted, I don't think I would ever have guessed Jordan Love. I don't not know. only that, but and, they would trade up to twenty six to draft him. Right. Yeah, like, it's even crazier to me. Like I thought it was almost for certain going to be a wide receiver. Like imagine how much different it would be if they got T Higgins to twenty six. You know, <laughs> I mean that seems completely different. And they're, yeah, they're doing they're rolling. Um, and to be fair, I agree with what they were doing. If Jor- if they think Jordan Love is their quarterback for a decade, like you were talking about, where like Joe, Joe Burrow, you know he's going to be the Bengals quarterback for a decade, barring the Bengals absolutely ruining his career. He's going to be likely the Bengals quarterback for a decade. If Jordan Love is your quarterback for a decade, yeah, it's probably a good move. If he's not, you ju- you're all getting fired. Every single one of you is getting fired <laughs> yeah. for that. <laughs> and it looks like they're getting closer to that, that actually happening. That being the case. Now, I want to give Jordan Love a shot, so I won't say anything yet. But really kind of feels like – like I understand that upside Jordan Love, and I think a lot of people always said that like, he was like going to be a very, very risky prospect who can work out very, very well or work out horribly depending on what happens. Jordan Love in the, the sitting situation, and I found it interesting because I was like – well, if you think he needs two years to sit on the bench before becoming a quarterback, I don't, I, I don't think you picked the right quarterback. Like, that's the thing I say with first-round guys. Like, if they're not ready to start pretty close to right away in their first year, probably not the right guy to pick. Like, sitting a guy a year because you have a better option is fine. Like, the first team reps are kind of what's more important than anything else. But, like, in the case of Mahomes – are we pretty sure that the Chiefs didn't make a mistake not putting Mahomes in over Alex Smith that season? Right, and and you know I I, I get that, and and I think that here's my issue with a you know and and the whole entire idea of sitting a prospect for a year. I think a lot of people don't understand like how that would work, and I understand why someone would say that, and and I think that we both understand that, like there are certain players who are just so raw that they just need a year maybe to to you know understand the offense and learn the NFL systems and everything like that have an entire year to learn the playbook and know exactly what they're doing the next year. Uh, and the reason why I say got a two, two years for a guy like, uh, you know, like uh, Jordan Love in particular uh, is mainly because like, this is a guy who I think had a lot of issues with wanting to trust his receivers too much in the NFL and they call it football. And it really resulted in a couple of problems for him when it comes to like interceptions and a couple of bad plays. Uh, and that really forced some bad decisions on his behalf, I think. Um, and that is something that I think needs to be ironed out with your like, – I mean, it's almost like you're going back to your factory settings at, at quarterback and resetting it. And that is a kind of a, – a, in my eyes, that is something that maybe takes a little bit longer than what people think. Um, he has like the – when you talk about a guy who can have – can go, get on the ground and run, he's a pack, maybe a pocket passer, but he can run the ball if necessary. Uh, he, he has an insanely, insanely strong arm. Dude can pass it – Dude can throw it down the field – amazingly uh, I think that he can be a great accurate quarterback at the next level uh, it really just feels like everything to his game when it comes to progressions when it comes to basically anything mental anything mentally uh, I think is where he really needs to improve on and sure he could have gotten much better this year and if he is play him and and I'm okay with that but I think my issue is I don't know if that is something that you can solve one year, especially whenever Aaron Rodgers was a guy who was pretty much the focus of your offense entirely. And he was just kind of Jordan Love was kind of put in the in the back half of the system now. I feel like I feel like now would be a great year. Alex Smith was a perfect quarterback to put in front of Patrick Mahomes. And I think it really sped up his progressions because Alex Smith taught him everything he knew to Patrick Mahomes. And of course, Smith's a very, very intelligent quarterback. People people really don't talk about that because of course he, you know, the last couple of years um, after he got injured, when he came back, of course he threw for what, three yards per, per attempt. It really kind of felt like it was less than that. It was probably maybe. less than that. <laughs> but, but like he was a very, very intelligent quarterback. He knew so much about the game and he taught Mahomes everything he knew. And once do Mahomes we know come- that? Do we know that he taught Mahomes everything he knew? Do, do Mahomes, we know that for a fact? Well, Mahomes credited him for a lot of his success. So I, I don't know. I just kind of feel like that's that's something that, you know, is maybe something – I mean, we can't exactly prove that, I guess. But yeah. I, as far as I know, uh, everyone has always said, and it really kind of feels like among the Chiefs organization, they agree that Alex Smith really helped Mahomes, uh, you know, t- you know, gather his mental cap- – or all of his – the, the mental side of the game, they really like everything that goes into the mental parts, like recognizing certain, um, you know, blitzes, certain, you know, you know, and really being able to audible out of a certain play. Like that, that's something that, you know, that is very, very important for quarterbacks. And of course, we all know Tom Brady's the best in the game at that by far. Like there's no guy that can, you can compare to Tom Brady when it comes to understanding the game mentally. Um, but I think that, you know, 
Mahomes is a guy where whenever he was playing at Texas Tech, he was a very, very talented, accurate quarterback. But he, you know, he kind of had his plays where he, you know, he had one guy that he was set to throw it to and he went to throw, throw it to him. You know, like he wasn't going through his progressions to a high level. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that Mahomes is a far, far better prospect than Jordan Love. So I will say, like, there was definitely some sides to the mental game that I think could have been a lot better. And I thought Mahomes could have been a day one starter if he wanted. So I want to clarify that I think he was a much different case than, than, than Love. But even mm-hmm. at that instance, they sat him for a year. Alex taught him everything. He worked out beautifully. This is even more of an of a of a Jordan loves even to a greater degree, a far greater degree than what uh, Patrick Mahomes is whenever it comes to needing to learn that mental side of the game to be good. And I think that I don't I don't I I, I don't want to say that Rogers taught him much last year, and that's my issue. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know for how example, I mean, in the case of Jordan Love, I was just thinking because you brought this up with the the sitting thing. If Jordan Love gets drafted by Washington, let's say, and Washington is in the thick of a playoff race and they're, they've got Alex Smith and they've got Heineke and they've got Kyle Allen, does that change it where, you know, Jordan Love is going to be forced to play instead of having the luxury of being able to sit one to two seasons? So does that change the prospect of Jordan Love? Do you think that Jordan Love is still the person who needs the two years or he's going to be thrown into the situation and, you know, sink or swim, learn how to play kind of way instead of getting a quarterback tutelage behind Rodgers. When I say two years, uh, I envision myself as Lance being an observer of one year where they have a lot of success. And that was last year, of course, where Aaron Rodgers was a fantastic quarterback. You saw like what he did and what led to the success whenever he was on the field. Like he had to watch the MVP play every single game. He was in front yeah, of the they, they put Jordan, they put Jordan Love on the practice squad too. Like Tim Boyle was the one taking garbage time snaps. He didn't even like, he didn't even get a chance to be active on game days. Exactly. Like he was the guy who was observing all of it, taking it all in. That was his observing year. Now that Aaron Rodgers, here's what I think is a perfect scenario for Jordan Love. And, and I've mentioned this now. Uh, now that Aaron Rodgers is not wanting to be a quarterback in 2021, of course, you weren't planning for that. Unfortunately, you didn't get to trade him or get any assets for him this year, which I would have done if I had the chance. I'm, if I'm committing to Jordan Love, of course, this is assuming we're all committing to Jordan Love. Yeah, um, assuming Rodgers I, doesn't want to play anymore and the Packers are like, all right, we're going to roll the dice with Jordan Love. I would roll this year with a great bridge veteran quarterback like Ryan Fitzpatrick, if that was possible, um, an Alex Smith type guy that you want on your squad to to roll with Jordan Love. And here's what I would do: I would start the bridge quarterback, Tyrod Taylor, for example, year one or week one, and let him roll. And if, of course, the team does not have success, of course, do exactly what the Chargers did with with Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert. You throw in the rookie. You see how he does for a couple of games. You throw him in for the garbage time. You, you throw him in for games that don't matter as much if you're having a poor record. And you let him roll. You say, listen, man, we're, we're not needing to win this game. There's no pressure on your back. Just show us what you got in-game decisions. And I think that when you put him in that position, when you when you give him a chance to – actually learn hands-on with another quarterback who is helping to bridge for you, who is like his entire job, like, you know, guys like Alex Smith and Tyler Taylor, their entire job is just train the, the rookie. Right. And that's their, that's what they do. That's what, that's why they earn their money each, each year. They, they earn seven mil to go out and just teach a guy. Uh, and so, I mean, great for them. That's great. And I think that really helps out rookies to help progress. And I think that if, if they had a, a guy who could do that for them with, with Jordan Love, I think it really, really worked out great for them because Love, Love had the the visual. He got to see everything that Rodgers did. He never actually got to do it. Like, Rodgers was just kind of, you know, if he saw Jordan Love, he was just walking past him. He didn't care. He didn't stop to say, like, do we know that? Wait, do we know that? I I guess not. I I don't want to, like. Yeah, because I thought Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers has never been that guy. Like, Aaron Rodgers was, like, pristinely professional about the Jordan Love thing. I just don't think we know very much about whether or not he was mentoring Jordan Love because he's, it seemed like he didn't he didn't have animosity towards Jordan Love, but it it seemed like he did the same thing that he would always do, which is just he's another quarterback. We're gonna chill in the quarterback room. We're gonna go well, through progressions and stuff. Right. I don't know if he was like specifically like, hey, let's one on one mentor with Jordan Love. I don't know about that. And that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm yeah. like. It, I don't I don't think. And I I hate to. I'm I'm not gonna assume. So I I hate to assume. And you're right. I shouldn't I shouldn't assume that. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.